Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading starts at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, and we'll go through chapter 11, verse 3. This is the word of God. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible." we pray. Father, we are grateful for this time to be together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs we've sung, and we pray, Lord, that you would be present among us, that your spirit would be the one that would bring this message today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's summertime, and if it was 1955, and you were on Captiva Island, you may have seen Aaron Morrow Lindbergh on the beach. You say, where's Captiva Island? Well, you begin with the epicenter of the universe and drive south from Disney World, down along the coast, the the Gulf Coast, and you get there in about two hours. What was rather intriguing about Anne Morrow Lindbergh is that she was one who was very well-known, celebrity status, had married Charles Lindbergh very soon after he had crossed the Atlantic from New York to Paris and instantaneously flew to success, quite literally, nonstop across the ocean. She lived in, in the bubble of celebrity, and she had two weeks on Captiva Island. And what's miraculous may not be as much that she wrote a book that... Many people have enjoyed The Gift from the Sea, wrote it in those two weeks, but that she managed to get away from her five kids and leave them in Connecticut for two weeks. I think that's the real miracle as as a mom with young children still. Had a chance to think straight, she readily admitted, in the book. I had not truthfully heard the book. Sandy reminded me she had had to read it, you know, along the way uh, as part of some class assignments, I guess, sometime in the past. But I I listened to it on on Audible this past spring, and in fact, I listened to portions of it a second time. I appreciated the common sense wisdom in the trenches of trying to be a busy parent and and just the advice that that has been really timeless, some, some excellent advice. But I took issue when I heard her say this statement. She said, referring to just the context was, busy moms, essentially, and in the context of life for busy moms, she said, it is no wonder the saints of old were rarely married women. Well, I had Hebrews 11 in my mind. And it didn't line up. And it gave me some fodder among a lot of great advice. And I would commend the book to you as, as someone who's clearly a smart woman, clearly had lived life, was now middle-aged, and had some perspective. But with that statement, 
I could agree maybe with the factual part of it. If you define saint by somebody who's recognized by you and me, or specifically the church, maybe over the years often the Catholic church, if you would define saint as someone man or human commended, you define saint as someone who is able to withdraw enough from all the other busy things that distract you from being saintly, you define saint as someone that just had just utmost dedication, not the kind of dedication we really have access to in our lives as busy students and parents and grandparents. You define saint that way, well, maybe factually there's some truth to it. But if Hebrews helps to define a different kind of saint, a different kind of commended person, a different kind of source of being commended, well, then maybe we might have to differ, at least on this point, with Ann Lindbergh. I want you to look at verse 1 because it begins with a definition of faith that is so important because, really, there's a lot of definitions I hear on my street, I hear in the circles I listen to, and I know you hear the same where... A definition of faith is just off. I, I, I hear a little bit like faith and, and maybe love. You know, we, I think we'd agree in God's dictionary. Uh, they, they're, they're bolded. They're in underline. God likes those words. But the definitions that we hear in our culture today don't really jive with, with his definition very much of the time. I mean, what if I said... What if I said, you know, next week I'm, I'm going to teach the middle schoolers. I've been asked to teach the middle schoolers for Sunday school. I'm supposed to talk about love. So and I pulled Nate aside and I said, Nate, would it be okay if, if I, uh, you know, just want to get some elder guidance here. If I um, got some good clips from some of the latest Hollywood movies. And, and I'm going to bring a stack of books. I, I just bought them at the romance section at the grocery store. Because I really want to have some good grounding as I teach them about love. He, he might make a call or two to others in the Sunday school department, and appropriately so, saying, Are you kidding me? Our culture doesn't speak to love the way God defines love, the way he has shown us love. Well, it seems to me faith is is not much different in that sense. When I hear faith, I mostly hear it in words like, you gotta have faith. It, it seems like faith is, much of the time, not much more than some optimism, kind of a push of good luck. It's kind of hope based on, well, no one ever really seems to get to what they're basing it on. Makes me almost chuckle and think it's right in there when I, I recall hearing about the six-year-old that came home from Sunday school. His mom, hoping he hadn't just goofed off the whole class, asked him, so what did your teacher teach you in Sunday school? And she was so happy he had an answer. He had been listening, she thought. We talked about faith. Well, what did you Talk about faith. What, what, what is faith, she asked, trying to get at what he was learning. Well, I, 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 I think it's believing what you know really ain't so. Well, let's not linger any longer on either off-base or just really wrong definitions of faith. Let's get to a definition God has endorsed. 
Because he's written it. It's right here in verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I want to say to you that as as I've studied this, I I see two parts of that as as I've tried to understand this word faith. As I've tried to push aside definitions and whether they come from someone 96 or 6, if they're inconsistent with God's word, I, I don't want those to clutter my thinking. I want this definition of faith to be one I understand and I embrace. And so I would say to you that as I look at this passage and have studied it, I see two clear things from verse 1. That faith is, starts with the light that God has given us, given you and me. It starts with the light God has given us. And it requires our response to that light. I'm going to explain what I mean. The word light is not in there, but we're often told by by Jesus he is the light of the world. He is that which illuminates our thinking and our understanding of this world. Let's, Let's start with just that, that faith starts with the light that God has given us. The very definition of faith involves an idea of holding fast. Not, not holding fast when you, you know, like my son Jackson hugging somebody at a graduation party. He doesn't know. That's not holding fast. Holding fast is flexing the muscles. It's the vessels in, in my bald head coming out. It's, it's grabbing a hold of something. Faith is that kind of holding fast. And and we see it in the words that are used here. They're used in different ways, different translations. But words like confidence. I mean, real confidence. It's words like assurance. It's not just, I kind of think that's true. It's, I know that's true. It's words like conviction. Things that run deep. Truth you've embraced and affects how you think, and how you live. So so the question is, if if faith, by its very definition, involves the idea of holding fast to something, what are you holding fast to? What What are we holding fast to as it relates to faith? Well, it's holding fast to God and the reality of what he describes in his word. The first part makes sense. You're holding fast to God. Let's face it. There's a lot of people that either don't believe he exists or confused about that or frankly might believe there's a higher power but their lives reflect no indication that they live in light of that higher power. So it's holding fast to God but it's also holding fast very clearly to the reality he describes in this book, his word. You say, that's a little funny choice of words, reality. Don't you mean the truths? Don't you mean the instruction? Don't you mean the commands? I mean all those things. But, But men and women who have studied this often find that they use the word reality because it encompasses that as well as the perspective on life. Because this book is not just what to do in this world. This book is 
describing this world and the world to come, and it's describing truth. It is describing true reality when turning on cable news is not going to give you true reality. When the Board of Education is not always going to be right on true reality. When even your own gut feeling of what, what's going to work out is not the reliable gauge that the scriptures are on what reality is. It's holding fast. It's having confidence that a living God is active, that he's in control of this world that we're living in. It's confident in this reality that, that the present and the future are ones that he describes, and that's what I'm going to hold on to. One scholar said, faith always begins in the scriptures, always begins with revelation. So, so faith always starts with what God has already presented for you to believe in. You don't manufacture what you believe in if you're going to go by a godly, a biblical definition of faith. Faith starts with the light, the truths, the reality that God has, has spelled out for us in the scriptures. And it requires a response, a response to that light, to that revelation. And I would say as I look at verse 1 that, that I arrive at some words that I want to present before you. The word confidence is used in some translations. I want to add just an, an adjective to that. I think that's, that was found in different definitions I found. It's a settled confidence in God and his word. And that's why I put the first point in your outline, that, that faith is your confidence in an in, in invisible God's visible Words. That's what faith is. The very word assurance, to be assured of something, you know, comes from a word that means to have a foundation. And, and God and his word are a foundation. And, and it's something that has that in your mind has been proven sufficiently over time to have a settled confidence in that. Like the old hymn, Jesus, Jesus, how I love him, how I've proved him, or and or. That began, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that, that foundation was laid because of the cross, right? The cross is not pointed out right here, but that is the foundation of where faith starts. That is the foundation that we call justification, being made right with God because we believe in Jesus, the need in our lives for a Savior. So we're not talking about our justification, the foundation that Jesus has laid that gets us into heaven. But we are talking about the life we live and to say, my life will be lived because of my Jesus has settled my position in this world and with, with my Father, my Heavenly Father. Now my settled foundation will be His Word and the reality He describes in that Word and the instructions, the way to live that flows from that. Yeah, faith requires and is a settled confidence in God and His Word. And it's also something that requires belief. In fact, faith is beyond belief. Faith is beyond belief. 
Because it says at the end of verse 1 that, that we need to have conviction of things not seen. It's not some fancy theological term. It just simply means things the eye doesn't see. It's a bit like uh, learning to fly. And I've never tried to learn how to fly. Let's see, uh, our good friend Dave Hopkins could, could instruct us on that. And I know Dave would say yes. When I first started, before I ever got to the commercial status of being a pilot... You start flying, and you can only go up when you can see everything. Visual flying, they call it. you got to be able to see the planes that might endanger you if they got too close. you got to be able to see the towers that have those big red balls as you're flying too low. you got to be able to see the runway all the way. you got to be able to see that runway to fly visually. And does that mean you can go up in all kinds of weather? No, it means you can barely get up at all sometimes. Maybe days or weeks go by that you're not able to fly. You're not able to be a navigator in your own journey because they won't let you because you can only fly by sight. And the reality is, so much of the time in this world, the bigger things in our lives, we are flying with only some indication of what's ahead. The sight is, is limited. And so when you fly by instrument flying, you're able to rely on those instruments that you've studied and you've gotten familiar with. And so when you can't see what's on the other side of those clouds, you rely on the instruments that you've learned to trust and you learn if I Follow them. They've proved themselves over and over again. I know they're accurate. I did a test before I even got started on this flight. I can trust them to see me through what I can't see. So someone like William Lane can say about faith this way. He says, faith enables you to venture into the future supported only by the word of God. Faith enables you to fly into the future only resting on the Word of God. What is Hebrews 11? You've heard it referred to as a hall of faith. A list of people who, who live this life where faith was a prominent feature of, of how they lived. It's a list of people who listened to God's clear message. They believed it. And then here's the, the way that faith is beyond belief. They live like they believed it. Have you rubbed shoulders with someone? It might be your own self not too long ago or in a time past that, that said they believed things, but their life didn't follow their confidence, their assurance was not consistent with the words they say they believed. Look at this list, and others will follow me and, and, and take you there with the specifics of these various lies. But look at this list and see what they really were and commended by God for. Because at, at, at first it's easy to say they were commended by God for doing things for, for the doing of the things, for what they, in quotes, accomplished, for being daredevils of faith, of, of being the kind that just by personality, just by grit, 
did things that just saw them through when mere mortals like me and Harry just would have given up. Noah built an ark while others chuckled. They just laughed at him. He didn't just build it over a summer. He built it for a long time. The laughter went on a long time. Was he commended because the size boat he built? Is he commended because the boat stayed afloat? Is he commended because he was a Pied Piper and got two of everything to come up the, the ramp onto the boat? He was commended according to the scriptures because in reverent fear he constructed an ark. He took God at his word, this God that he respected far more than any of those that were laughing at him. And he did what God asked him to do. Abraham was one. Abraham did some impressive things. He was, had his faults as well, absolutely. But he did some impressive things of faith. But what he is commended for, it says in the scriptures in this uh, Hebrews 11, is that he went out not knowing where he was going. And so I say to you that might say, I don't think this hall of faith has even remotely anything to do with me. I could never accomplish the kind of things that some of these Old Testament people accomplished. I'm just not that kind of personality. My life's been kind of more routine. Well, has there ever been a time when you had a clear sense from the Lord, from his word and from praying about things, to step out and you can say, I really wasn't sure how it was going to work out. I, I... I was unsettled, but I was settled that God was directing me to step out this way. I say to you, my friend, you were walking by faith. And God was honored by that, that you did, just like Abraham. His wife, Sarah, conceived and had a baby at age 90. Can you imagine showing up at the labor and delivery and telling the nurses, the timing of this is perfect. Timing for me to have this baby is perfect. Because had it happened six weeks before, I would have missed my 72nd high school reunion. <laughs> 90 years old having a baby. Is she commended for having and being in, the, in this hall of faith because she physically had a baby at age 90? I mean, after all, when Abraham was told that, that your wife's going to have a baby, she was at the door of the tent and... <laughs> laughed to herself and was called out for it. But somewhere after that, I don't know if it was later that day or the week after, but sometime soon after that, the tears welled up in her eyes and she said, Lord, if that's true and I know you can do it, I believe. I will walk this journey of faith. And what does it say in the scriptures? She considered God faithful who had promised. She had that baby and is in the hall of faith. Not because she had the baby, but because she believed God would do it. Isaac. There's only one sentence about little Isaac here who grows up. He's got his faults too. Every one of these folks have their faults, things you were telling their life story and you were teaching the middle schoolers. You kind of skip over that section about what they did. 
But Isaac is commended as one who blessed his children. It says right there in, 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 uh, in this scripture about him that he, he blessed Jacob. But you go back to Genesis 27, 29, when he blesses his son Jacob, and it says, he, ble- he said, blessed Jacob, blessed be everyone who blesses you. He said that when he had his hands on Jacob's head, I'm sure. And you know what? That as simple as that is, he is commended. He's here in this passage because the Holy Spirit, God the Father, could see in his heart and knew he believed it. In that translation, the message says it this way. It's as if by faith Isaac reached into the future for his children. He reached by faith into the future for his children. Confident that this God who had promised blessing to his father Abraham would carry on that blessing to future generations. Reached into the future. And that's why he's there. Not because he was a great example to the kids. He may at times been, maybe at times wasn't, like all the rest of us. But he claimed and believed God's promises and reached into the future, believing in in the blessing that was to come. The takeaway for me of the Hall of Faith as I read through it, again, is not a list of daredevils, of thrill-seekers, of saints of yesteryear. It's not off-the-chart, passionate, and gritty personalities that the rest of us can only admire from a distance. It's those who lived by the light God had given them. Those that, that, that's what God points out when he says in this chapter, well done. He points out that they believed in the God behind his word, and they lived in light of that. Did you know what? Your faith gets God's praise. That's what verse 2 is about. Your your faith gets God's praise. How many of you heard the term shout out? I love kind of bringing up a trendy word when my kids are here. Because they're just totally nervous. They're like, shout out? Dad, you're middle, you're beyond middle age, probably. I don't even know what middle age is, they're thinking to themselves, but you're beyond whatever it is. Don't use terms that we stopped using like 10 years ago. Well, let me educate you a little bit about the term shout out. You know, a yelling out from, from the crowd, something good, something positive. Shout outs were common in the 1800s. The black churches in the South. They actually had people that they became known as the shouters. Because they were the ones when the song was just cranking along. Yes, Jesus! And when someone said something powerful from the pulpit, they were just bringing it on from the pews. Hey, were you alive then? (laughs) So shout out was a term that is at least 150, 160 years old. But you know what? The idea of it, the doing of it, is at least going back to the first century. Because that's when this book was written. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 2 is about shout outs. And I say a shout out because it comes from the word to, to speak a word. It is not something that is written down. It, it, the, the commendation is not, not a plaque that's kind of in some teeny little font that we 
you don't even hardly remember who that person was. We put it in the janitor's closet, you know, that we light bulbs burnt out six years ago, and we haven't even turned replaced them. It is it is God speaking out, breathing out a word of commendation, of praise to, in this case, these ones who have, in his estimation, lived a life of faith. We heard it a few times. We've heard it a few times. Matthew heard it a few times, and he wrote it down. He heard it when that centurion came to Jesus. Said, said one of my servants is, is, is back at the house, paralyzed. He's suffering. Jesus offered to go, and, and he said, no, you, you can do it from here. What did Jesus do? He turned from that man, stopped talking to him. And he turned to the crowd and said, in all Israel, I have not seen this kind of faith. Jesus gave a shout-out to a man for his faith. Gave a shout-out to a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. when She just had enough belief in who Jesus was to act on it and touch the hem of his garment. And what does it say about her when he turns to her? He says, oh, to prove a point, I'm going to heal you. Uh, I'm the great physician, let's get this done. He turns to her and says these words, Your faith, woman, has healed you. Your faith. You believed and you acted on that. And that Canaanite woman who had a daughter with demons in her, and, and, and she's from Canaan. She's not from the people of Israel. And Jesus kind of says to her, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for this group. For now, I'm here for this group. You're not in this group. You're not part of Israel. And she says back to Jesus, but, but don't even the dogs eat of the crumbs that, that fall on the master's table, come to his table. She was saying, Jesus, I have such confidence in who you are, in your power, in your words. If, if one, of those, one of those crumbs there is a crumb of healing for my daughter. That's all I need. Jesus said to her, Great is your faith, woman. Great is your faith. Are you hearing these words and maybe saying to yourself, I, I, I don't know if I've, I'm hearing Jesus say those words to me. I, I'm a, I mean, I realize Jesus is not, not here in bodily form the way he was in that first century, but when might I hear those words? I'm trying to live by faith. At times I'm doing a better job than others. I'm trying to live by faith. When, when do I hear those words? A fellow named Henry Morrison was coming back. He had been in Africa for 40 years. And he was returning because he had gotten sick. It was 1910. He had been there four decades serving the Lord in Africa. And he, he wondered what greeting, what, what welcome, what commendation he might hear for the service he had put in. Pulls up in this big boat into New York City Harbor, 1910. And, and as he pulls up, he looks, he, he looks up and... The, he couldn't believe the size of the crowd at the waterfront. 
waiting. He could tell there's no other boats follow him, waiting for his boat. And he pulled up. As they pulled up, he was just gasping at the size of the crowd that was there to welcome his boat that had Teddy Roosevelt on it, returning from an African safari. Roosevelt had been there several months, well-publicized. They were there not for Henry Morrison, but for Teddy Roosevelt. And Morrison would say later, he said, a bitter spirit, a bitter spirit took over me. I don't think any of these people are here for me. I don't know if anybody from my church or my circle of friends I left all those years ago are here for me. To, to, to be excited for me, to give me a word of thanks or praise or commendation for what I've done. I, I, I thought when I got home, I might finally hear that. And Henry Morrison would say, said, it was as if the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, you're not home. You're not home. Your faith grows, my friends, by what you see. That's verse 3. Your faith grows by what you see. But but I I know you think, I I thought faith was about what I can't see. There's no faith in what I can see. That doesn't take faith. I can see it. Faith does grow by what you can see according to the scriptures. Blaise Pascal said it this way, the great... uh, Theologian, just a brilliant man, he said, In faith there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough darkness for those who want to doubt. Let me say that again. Blaise Pascal said, In faith there is enough light for those who want to believe but enough darkness for those who don't want to believe. I wish... You and I had the kind of light to fall back on that those disciples did. Wow. Think of it. Think of that time. Let's just pick one example. Think of that time they were on the boat with Jesus. The winds and the waves kick up on the Sea of Galilee. Seven miles across the Sea of Galilee. And you're just in a little boat. And and you know when, when fishermen get scared on the water... You know, it's, it's a little like firemen getting scared at a fire or, or, or doctors and nurses getting scared when a trauma rolls in. It doesn't happen unless it's really bad news. And, and so Jesus is asleep when, when they just start getting petrified and they wake him up with the words, Jesus, no, they don't say, can you get your life preserver on? You know, insurance kind of, you know, in case you get hurt, they're going to fuss at us. No, Jesus, we are going down. Don't you care that we're drowning is what the scriptures say. And, and Jesus' response, oh, to have seen this, well, to just have a chance to hold on to this kind of light when I'm doubting and struggling and wanting my faith to be bolstered, what they had. Jesus gets up. And what do the scriptures say? It says that he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now I read that, and it sounds like I just got out of an 11th grade poetry class. And I'm just kind of saying something that just... Picture the scene. 
Waves stirred up enough that seasoned adult fishermen are scared for their lives. Jesus, whatever he says, he's got to yell it in this turmoil for the disciples to hear it and write it down sometime later. He had to have been yelling when he said his words. And he doesn't just say it as a you know pretty please. He's rebuking the winds and the waves that are around him. He's rebuking him with the same word as when he rebuked the demon throwing the little boy in the fire on another occasion. He was hot about it. It says that he says, peace be still. The word peace really is, is more like a word. It comes from the word just to be silent. And the next word, be still, after that, after the word peace, is, is a word that means to muzzle. It's not just be, be silent, but stop talking, you know, it's just, and stay that way. It would be better to picture a scene in which Jesus gets up and he says, silence and stay that way. That would be more accurate for what happened, what those disciples saw. And what happens after that? The wind ceases. It's not like a big old ceiling fan that you turn off and clacks to a slow stall. Stopped. And the calm on the sea that day. Not just a calm, a, a, a great, the word's megalo, a mega calm. Glass, as far as you can see, all the way down to Tiberias, eight miles away. could walk on that kind of water. But you know what? Blaise Pascal, he says, in faith there's enough light for those who want to believe. What kind of light do we have to fall back on? Well, verse 3 says, we've got light too. We've got light by day, and we've got light by night. What's up there during the day? The sun. It's up there at night. Colorado, we actually see it. Where I grew up, I only saw the stars about, I think I was four when I saw them, and sometime around when I was eight, back in the East Coast, all the clouds. You get to see the stars every night. And here's what the scriptures say in verse 3. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So, it isn't, it's a helpful text when you're talking about the world's beginnings. But its purpose here is not a proof text for answers in Genesis, as much as it might be a very helpful text to understand some of those issues in Genesis. It is here to help clarify what faith is about and to shed light on how we can better understand and be bolstered in our faith. It, when it says the word of God, it is not what was written down in Genesis. It is God's spoken word. Once again, just like in verse 2, the commendation was a spoken word, the way the Greek outlines it and the way in common use that word is used. Here it's the word rima, to speak. So this is a spoken word that the writer of Hebrews asks us to look back in history past 
and picture the scene when Jesus looks out over the unformed universe. And, and he doesn't do some rearranging. He doesn't say, you know, I, I'm making the earth. Son, it's a little cold, you know, up in uh, North Dakota in the middle of winter. So come a little bit this way. Um, hey, you apes in the forest, why don't you stand up a little upright? Uh, why don't you, uh, proteins on the side of that pond, can you guys get a little closer together and start making a cell here? We don't know the words, but the scriptures right here, the Holy Spirit says, there was a time in eternity past when there was nothing. And God spoke words, and it was there. Not just this earth, but all that we see, the sun, the moon, and the stars. The universe was created simply by God breathing out the words that he chose to speak back then. You ask me, what's a, what's a, a way to summarize chapter 11, verses 1 to 3? You know what I, I would say? It's, it's, it's looking at this progression of what God has breathed out. Because in eternity past, at a time that only he knows, he breathed out words that created all that is evident in the universe. And that included breathing into Adam and and forming, at his appointed time, the first man and the first woman. And then there was a time after Mankind was on this word, earth, that he breathed out again and began to give us the early chapters of this book that he would complete over 1,500 years. All scripture is God-breathed. And then there will be a future time for all of us who walk in a way that, that takes these truths, the reality described in this book, and says, I don't just believe it. I'm going to live like I believe it. And we'll hear at some time, again, his appointed time, I think it's most likely when we see him face to face, we'll hear him speak out, breathe out again, words of commendation and praise for us living by faith. You know, there are many... Halls of fame in the world. I looked it up. Kind of got tired after realizing there was at least several hundred. Got a little nauseated when I realized there was ten professional wrestling halls of fame. (laughs) Alex, you probably know those. You get tired of reading about the halls of fame. Several hundred, just, just Google it, you know, just in the United States. And there's walks of fame, you know. Seems a little funny walking on, you're famous, I'm just step on you. And then, you know, you get tired of that. There's, uh, there's you know, other things that, that come around. There's walks of stars. There's avenues of fame. Uh, then you get tired of studying and looking at all of those. It might take a lifetime just to do that. Then just go to some seedy diner in the middle of nowhere where occasionally a celebrity drives through. They're famished. No food. They, they, Uber doesn't deliver. DoorDash is, it doesn't even come within 200 miles. they got to pull into this diner, and they realize, I can get a free meal if I just let them take a Polaroid of me and sign it, and they'll put it on the wall that I was here. 
Well, diners do that. Well, then there's Hebrews 11, a hall of faith. Now, I'm looking out over you. I'm not above you. I'm going to put myself right in the same crowd as all of you. We don't have a chance of making it into all those other halls, of getting a star someplace. I like you, but let's face it, we're just not that famous. We haven't done something so extraordinary in human eyes to probably end up on some hall of faith. I don't even think we'll end up on the diner. Maybe we can carry in a Polaroid sign and see what happens, but... but it's unlikely we'll ever make it into any hall of, hall of fame, walk of fame, hallway, whatever it might be. But we have an opportunity to make it into the only hall that counts for anything. To be invited by God himself into a hall of faith. And the invitation based on us taking his word and his reality that he describes here in his instruction manual, and living our lives as if we actually believed it. You know, Anne Morrill Lindbergh might say that the saints of old were rarely married women. But again, I'd have to differ with her, because I think when I am looking in on that hall of faith, whenever God gives opportunity, I'm going to see many a mom there that lived by faith. I'm going to see dads there. And, and, and whether single dads or, or dads that are raising kids in any a context that's there, faithful to Jesus, living his word out, I'm going to see him there. Just as I've seen in this scriptures, that that invitation is there, that all who live by the light God has given us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this book and this chapter in particular. I am amazed that, that you give us access to your thoughts, to, to defining things, and we just confess our world confuses us so much with trying to understand what's going on, what, what words mean anymore, what, what's the latest. We, we, we just want to be those who prioritize understanding your teaching, who prioritize believing your reality as you describe it, both present and in the years and in the world to come, according to your word. May we be ones who, like these saints who've gone before us, live a life of faith. And we need your help to do it. We desperately do. May we do it this week with your help, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good Father's Day.